Welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast, Overcoming Resistance to Change, Part 1 of 2. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, Overcoming Resistance to Change, Part 1 of 2. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this episode, renowned change management expert Rick Maurer shares with us his insights on the three different types of resistance frequently encountered when implementing a business change, how to recognize each type, and the actions change leaders can take to overcome these objections. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Rick Maurer, author of Beyond the Wall of Resistance, why 70% of all changes still fail and what you can do about it. Rick is a renowned change management expert, speaker, and best-selling author. He is an advisor to business leaders from a variety of organizations throughout the world, including major Fortune 500 companies, as well as private and nonprofit institutions in industries such as aerospace, healthcare, chemicals, government, professional associations, telecommunications, and finance. Rick, welcome back to the Strategy Driven Podcast. Thanks, Nathan. It's good to be here. I'm thrilled to have you back on the show. Of course, change is occurring all around us, and it seems like it doesn't do anything but accelerate in today's marketplace. So I'm really happy that we have an opportunity to talk more in depth about a concept that you presented in your book, and that is around the various types of resistance to change. So I really appreciate you coming back to join me again. Well, good. Yeah, this will be fun. And now I, I do want to start by reminding our audience of something I think is an important concept that we talked about in our first discussion. And that is, I was hoping you could talk to us a little bit about whether or not resistance has to occur with every change, or is it possible to avoid having resistance to a change? Yes, it is possible to avoid having resistance, or at least having any kind of significant resistance. Uh, and, and what it takes is doing the kind of things that, that build a foundation for change, build support for change, even before you even know that a change is needed. Uh, and organizations that do that don't get lots of resistance. They may get some resistance, but nothing you know, to speak of. 
certainly when I talk to leaders who go, oh, well, we're facing a lot of resistance, they don't face that. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the organizations that do a good job of, of building this foundation. And I think the key that you mentioned there, to me, at least in my experience, is that they start building that buy-in before the change even is thought of or, or the project initiated. And those that fail, I, I see them having change as part of the project. So, you know, we get yep. a third of the way through the project and, oh, yeah, now we got to think about some change management. Well, that, yeah, that's right. And also kind of creating the conditions that people might even see why something's needed, that isn't part of most corporate cultures. And mm-hmm. consequently, every time you've got a change in mind, whether it's a technological change or merger integration, it really doesn't make a difference. You have to ramp up from zero and say, okay, this is really important. Here's why we're talking about it. But but you don't have to do it that way. I mean, there's uh, something that's been around for a number of years called open book management. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea behind it is is exactly what it sounds like. People see the numbers uh, that drive the business, and they understand what those numbers mean, and they understand how they contribute to meeting those numbers. Um, and... And it's odd. I mean, the Inc. Magazine did a, a study of uh, organizations of startup companies that used open book management. Forty percent of the successful ones use open book management, whereas overall in corporations, only one percent use open book management. Okay. And in that, in, in that, it doesn't have to be that particular technique. And there are a lot of ways of doing open book management, but it's that spirit of letting people in on what's going on, the stuff that keeps you awake at night. For instance, if you're the leader that really can kind of create the conditions so that when you say, you know, we've got to come up with a new software system that cuts across the whole enterprise, instead of people getting apoplectic, they go, oh, well, yeah, of course, because that, you know, so. Yeah, they saw it coming just like you did. Exactly. Yeah. And they've been thinking about it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working uh, with a CEO of a hospital at a time, oh, about 15 years ago, when there was just tremendous turmoil in hospitals uh, because a lot were going to profit making and, and all that, and a lot, and an internal war between administrative staff and medical staff quite often about how <clears throat> do we go for quality, do we go for, for a cost, and, mm-hmm. and as if those things were at war with each other. And he wasn't having those kind of problems. And he said, you know, I just, I just make sure people know the stuff that keeps me awake at night is keep, you know, is keeping them awake too. And he said, well, what I found is that people started coming into me saying, hey, boss, uh, I'm really concerned about this downward trend in customer service, for instance. And we've been thinking about it. We think we've kind of figured out why that's happening, and we've got some ideas. Yeah. So it's not grassroots change, but it's pr- pr- providing a container so that so that that, that ground-up kind of innovation can, can happen. Sure. But that's rare, sadly. So. Yeah, unfortunately. And, Rick, while we would like to think that we can avoid resistance. Like you said, sadly, it it occurs just more frequently than not. To set the framework for our discussion we're going to have tonight, would you define for our audience what you mean by resistance to change? Yeah, you know, I I go back to uh, a definition that I saw in one of the Webster's Dictionaries that just said that resistance is any force that slows or stops movement, any force that slows or stops movement. And the reason I like that is there's no value judgment 
in there. So you could be talking about electrical current. You know, you could be talking about a lot of things. But it's, but often when we use the word resistance, um, or your listeners use the word resistance, often a lot of negative adjectives get attached to it. Um, some some of them profane, some not. But but it's there's a value judgment with resistance, and you know and. I like a, I like a definition that doesn't put that in because resistance, you know, it, almost as you were suggesting, it's just a force. And um, for for you and I, for instance, to be doing this interview right now, we had to resist doing other things. Right. So it's it's not a bad thing. It's making choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some resistance, quite honestly, can be good. I know I give counsel to people, for instance, when they're making critical decisions, to actually even seek somebody out that's going to resist them. Yeah. That way they can, through a greater deal of trial, fully vet out the solution that they're going to move forward with. So, yeah, resistance is not all bad. It can be very constructive. Oh, I I think it can, too. That's why I like to have, you know, that that simple definition of anything that slows or stops movement, because you might say, we need to have it go slower, Mm -hmm. or we need to have it stopped. And that's where resistance can be a very healthy thing. Like the kid in the emperor's new clothes, who's the only one who could see or had the guts to say the emperor wasn't dressed. And if he's going to be at a parade, maybe he might want to put something on. Yes. Now, Rick, in your book, you talk about three very distinct reasons why resistance occurs. Would you briefly describe each of those types of resistance? And then what is really their underlying cause? Okay. Yeah, it's um, actually I got the, the phrases I'm about to use from uh, my editor Leslie Stephen, who called me one time and said, "You know what you're talking about? I think what you're saying, Rick, is I don't get it, I don't like it, and I don't like you." And yes, it, yes. <laughs> and any one of those can stop a change in its tracks. And so, if I don't get it, it means I hear you talking, but I don't have a clue what you're talking about. So you're using some professional jargon that I know nothing about, or you're way too detailed for me, or wh- whatever it might be. Whatever it is, I'm not picking it up. And that's, that's a pretty simple one to, co- to correct. But, but some changes really get stopped because the people ba- presenting the change just don't know when to shut up. <laughs> they just give too much information <laughs> in, in too arcane a way. So, um, and then the, the second one, the second source is, I don't like it, is, is an emotional reaction to the change. There's something about this change or the, even the thought of this change that scares me. So, so the I don't like it is based on fear. And it's, you know, I could lose my job. I'm an old dog. I can't learn new tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens to the projects that I've been working on that I think are really important? All of those kind of things. Can, can stop us. And what's important about the level two is once, once I get into that I don't like it mode, it can be a change that affects a thousand people and suddenly it's become personal. And I worry okay. about my resume and I worry about my mortgage and my kids about to go to college. So that on one hand, rationally, I might go, boy, this is, a, this is the best thing for the company, da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. But, but the big thing that's really driving my thinking and my action and my worry is what's going to happen to me okay yes yeah and then the third one i don't like you 
is a bit of an overstatement, but it's easier to it's easier to remember, so I, I, I like using it. It basically is I don't have trust and confidence in you to lead this particular change. So I might rationally get it. I see the need for a change. Um, I see the numbers. I see the arguments, all that. Emotionally, I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's important to do. Uh, and But I don't trust you because you're a flavor of the month kind of guy. You know, you start something, you don't follow through. You don't provide resources after the hoopla wears away. So even though I get it, I kind of like it, I'm still not going to support it because I, I just don't think you're going to lead it well. And, and so all three of those can work independently or they can work with each other. Now, Rick, starting with the I don't get it resistance, what are the risks involved? And then how does the change leader recognize that he or she is experiencing or, or realizing the onset of the I don't get it resistance? You know, it's funny. This happens to me. Like if I go, if, you know, if any of your listeners, you know, have gone into a store lately, um, the stores are those things that used to have around before the internet, and yeah. or, or you talk to somebody, you know, you actually get somebody on the phone because you're looking at something online, and they love their product, but they love it more than any sane person should, and they actually talk themselves out of a sale because they're talking too much. They're giving you all kinds of arcane data. They're giving you, okay. you know, that, that some people would really be interested in, and they're not paying attention to my rolling eyes and my looking at my watch <laughs> and my lack of interest, and they're just talking on and on because they're excited. Um, so one risk is that you can leave your audience in the dust. Um, and this happens quite often through the use of PowerPoint. Uh, Organization, the preferred way of doing change management in most organizations is give people tons of PowerPoint slides. Yep. And there, there is some belief that if we give people 150, 200 slides, they're going to learn more than if we gave them three slides. Um, that, and so we try to cover everything in these slides, and it somehow, it's somehow, it's almost like we're kind of unscrewing our audience's heads and then we're dumping the slides in and somehow you know, they'll internalize it. And that doesn't happen. The big risk is they tune out. So if it's slide 49, you've got the real big thing. You know, they tuned out 28 slides ago. They're not with you. And they're not going to tune back in magically at that big important slide that you've got halfway through the deck or three-quarters of the way through the deck. So, so a huge risk is just losing your audience, even okay. though these are people who might otherwise support you 100%. And fr from your description, it sounds like there's all sorts of cues that we ought to be picking up on this, whether it's the rolling eyes yeah. or the loss of attention and, and things like that. Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you a story. I was working with a, a software development company, mm -hmm. and they, they were having a planning meeting, and on Saturday morning, they had people from the various regions making presentations about things they thought the company could be doing. And it was like 8 o'clock Saturday, I think it was our th their third day, and I, you know, I just was interested in what they're doing. So I'm sitting in the back of the room, and this guy, I'll call him Chris, gets up, and he makes his presentation. And it was pretty clear that he had really done, given a lot of thought to this. But what he did for the entire 
45 minutes or so, is he looked at the screen of his laptop, which had the PowerPoint slides, and he talked to them. What he missed, but was right in front of him, is people were getting up to go to the back of the room to get coffee, which 8 o'clock on a Saturday is probably a good thing to do, but they weren't coming back to their seats. They were hanging out in the back of the room talking. And there, there was one guy who was doing a crossword puzzle. There were other people checking their Blackberries. And all of this was there to be, you, you could see it. All you had to do is look. And by not looking at us, all you look at is slides. He gets done, and he said, so what do you think? There's nothing. And he said, okay, well, thank you for your time. He folds up his laptop and unplugs it and walks off the stage. And had he been paying attention, he would have yeah. had options. I mean, he could have said, hey, you know, I know it's Saturday morning. I'm really interested in this topic. Is anybody else interested? You don't put people on the spot, but you can joke about it. Sure. Uh, or at 10 minutes in, you could say, so, look, uh, I really don't want to talk at you for, <laughs> you know, you know, for 45 minutes. I, I don't like to know. So what, what are your reactions so far? What questions do you have? You could start to do things to find out where things stand. Are, mm-hmm. are people with you or are they not with you? But if you're, if you're only looking at your screens or you're so, your screen or you're so wrapped up in what you're going to say, you miss what your audience is doing. Right. And instead of what I like to call speaking louder and slower. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We, we want to actually engage the audience. Oh, yeah, but don't let word of that get out, Nathan. That's, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> that'd be well, blasphemy. It, engage the audience. <laughs> that's right. But but I mean, you're uh, for fear that anybody would be taking both of us literally right now. Engaging the audience is is absolutely essential, but but I think it's harder to do because if that if Chris had stopped and said, "So what do you think?" That's risky. Because yeah. he might not hear what he wants to hear. But if he wants to build support for his ideas, he's got to hear that. So if people have objections, if, they have, if they're confused, knowing it 10 minutes in, rather than never knowing it, uh, it you know, could be a lifesaver. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So engaging is a little bit riskier, but it's absolutely essential if you want to get support. And also, by, by asking people what they, they think, their reaction, and actually listening to them and taking them seriously, not giving a, you know, a canned rebuttal for everything, mm-hmm. you actually start to build support um, uh, for people wanting to pay more attention to you. I find then, too, the per- people who, when they are prepared to engage, meaning they're prepared for the rebuttal, and they they have in their back pocket that question that then probes the person, well, what would you suggest? How could we make this better? What could we do to overcome this obstacle that you've presented that I believe is legitimate? Yes, yes. And those are, those are really simple, and there's a great set of questions that you just ask. Mm-hmm. And... And if the speaker would be willing to ask those kind of questions, that doesn't mean he or she has to make a promise, but, he, but that speaker could get curious about what that resistance is. And, and I like the way you just said it. Like, you know, it, uh, I'll paraphrase it, uh, what you said, but, but you know, th- that as a speaker, I can say, you know, I'm excited about this. Uh, I think it's a good idea. I'd really like to know how come it doesn't look good to you or what you're seeing. And if you do that with real curiosity, 
rather than having you know, a rebuttal in your pocket, you can really learn some stuff. Absolutely. And like you said, I, I don't think the point then is that, is that you have to incorporate everything, but there's probably going to be a nugget or two that you want to incorporate. And then I find if you celebrate, yeah. in other words, announce to everyone there that, hey, we did incorporate this or that, that even helps with the buy-in for those that didn't have their ideas incorporated. Yes, I, I agree. I yeah. agree. Don't have to prom- make promises right in the moment. Mm-hmm. You can you you can say, you know you you know thank you. You've really given me a lot to think about. Here's what I will make a commitment to do. I'm going to get back to you within the next 48 hours. Sure. And I'll, I'll send an email to all of you, or we'll do some how whatever works. You can't just say, thank you, that's been really helpful, I'll get back to you, because people will be really cynical. But if you say, I'm going to be back in touch with you within, and give them a window, and then when you actually do get back to them, whether you agree with them or don't agree with them, the respect you're showing to them counts for a lot. And that mm-hmm. can get people to be a little, you know, often uh, a little friendlier about, okay, okay, I'm not wild about this, but let, let me give him the benefit of the doubt. I've personally experienced that, and, and it works to me. It works wonders for getting the yeah. changes I, I want through. And you know, at the end of the day, I accept that maybe my changes don't happen exactly then as I originally planned or envisioned, but I'm still getting the real substantive change that I wanted to actually occur with the buy-in to make it sustainable. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Rick Maurer for being with us today and sharing his insights on how to recognize and overcome the several different types of resistance to change. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Rick Maurer and Beyond the Wall of Resistance at www.rickmaurer.com. Until next time, so long.